I don't know, like, the only time I'm excited about a free t-shirt is if it's, like, being launched out of, like, a t-shirt gun. Oh my and, like, gosh, at yeah. that point, I'm, like, frothing at the mouth. But, like, once it leaves this shirt cannon, it kind of loses its charm. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like, when a car leaves the dealership and, like, immediately loses its value. Depths of Wikipedia. You're listening to Depths of Wikipedia with Annie Rowerda and Ha Jin Yoo. Nick Aslan. Funny, he never married. The Battle of the Joshes. I thought the show was a metaphor. A place known as the body farm. This place got old man stink. Harry Fall. It's time to invoke the first law of hold. Oh, Bodega Cat. When you're in one. Tell us about your bike, the last Stop, Higgin. Stop it. Talk about Highway hypnosis. Yeah. A ghost mall. Press any key to continue. Depths of Wikipedia. Hey guys, welcome back to the Depths of Wikipedia podcast. It's Hajin, your host, and I'm joined by Annie. Surprise! Surprise! I'm still here. <laughs> uh, today we are going to be talking about perverse incentives. Uh, very perverse, Sounds sexy, very incentivizing, <laughs> but perhaps not as sexy as you might think. Um, <laughs> the idea is that people will create incentive schemes to, you know, get something they want, but those schemes have unintended and undesirable results that are contrary to the intentions of the designers. Uh, it's basically the idea of shooting yourself in the foot. One example of perverse incentives is when my high school gym teacher judged us uh, by how much we improved our mile time. So then everyone would just run really slow the first time so that they could easily oh, improve. Yeah. Another one that's not a personal example, but just really stuck with me is from the book Freakonomics. Uh, daycare workers, they started fining parents who were late picking up their children, but the fine was so small that parents actually were late more often. The idea was that before they would try to be on time because they felt so guilty, but then they had the option of paying away their guilt. And so they could be five minutes late, you know, hand over the several dollars. And it turned out that guilt was a better motivator than monetary damages. But I, I feel like I've heard of daycares that charge like just exorbitant prices for being late, like $10 a minute, $15 a minute. So this is this is not an example like this. So mm. maybe they read Freakonomics and they were like, we should charge more. They probably all did. They were like, wait, Stephen Dubner is definitely on to something. <laughs> <laughs> this, this Dubner fella. Uh, the most famous example of perverse incentives. It's so perverse. So incentivizing. <laughs> it's the Cobra <laughs> effect. And you may have heard about it. In India, during British rule, the British government offered a bounty for dead cobras. They were concerned about their population blowing up in Delhi. Okay, fine enough. But imagine that you are someone who wants to side hustle uh, and the government, who you probably maybe don't like, is offering money for dead cobras. Like, what are you going to do? I would, um, I would kill, <laughs> I would, <laughs> okay, 
So people started killing cobras, but then when they ran out of cobras to kill, they started breeding cobras. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. The the populations just absolutely took off. Um, and then the British government caught on to the fact that enterprising people were breeding the, the snakes. <laughs> enterprising. And... The government ended the program, as you might expect, but then all these people released their, like, warehouses full of snakes. Um, And this is quite possibly a rumor, but still, like, you see examples of this in ecological, like, conservation efforts, like, all the time. Um, South Florida had a bounty on pythons, and the exact same thing happened. Uh, so, So... Definitely just, you know, be careful that you're not encouraging illegal breeding rings when you're trying to cut down on a species population. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the um, the perverse incentive examples are just like so many like government heads being like, oh, like we have like this infestation, like why don't we put on our brainstorming caps and we pay people to like kill them and then it just totally backfires like there like there's so many situations like these i just didn't think about that like why don't they just call an exterminator <laughs> have you ever thought about that government if anyone from you know <laughs> an e- if anyone from the epa is listening to this th- consider calling an exterminator consider calling it <laughs> have you heard of an exterminator um <laughs> Yeah, so (laughs) along with that idea, I just want to bring up a similar thing that happened back in yield 1902 in Vietnam. At this point, Vietnam was under French colonial rule and they had a huge rat problem. Um, So they get the biggest and Frenchest minds together and they're like... Mm, as as we get the the hats out of here, <laughs> yeah. Essentially, it's the same thing. They're like, let's set up this program where we give money to people for each rat given to us. And guess what happens, Annie? I, I bet they've started breeding them. Actually, not real. So what they would do is they would just cut the rat tails, and they would just give the rat tails to the government and was like, oh, we killed the rat. And then they would just, like, let the rat go so that <gasps> they could go off and find their little rat partners and then, you know, produce little rat babies as it goes with the rat birds and bees. Okay, so I have a one that I quite like. Um, it's the Renewable Heat Incentive Scandal, a.k.a. RHI Gate, a.k.a. Cash for Ash, The idea was that in 2012, the government of Northern Ireland wanted to reduce heat usage and they wanted to switch to green sources, which is so noble and so great. But the like the reward structure was set up so that there were really like not a lot of cost controls. And so it absolutely spiraled out of control. People were saying the more you burn, the more you earn. And so these buildings <laughs> would, <laughs> they would just use green energy to heat anything because the rewards cost more than than heating. So there's stories of like the sheds in the middle of nowhere just being torched, not literally, but just heated up because right. 
because people were getting subsidies. Yeah. And so by some estimates, the government lost $1 billion. And so it was quite the scandal in Northern Ireland, so much that it, it got a gate suffix, which I feel like is the measure of whether something is, um, you know, a big scandal in the news cycle. Pizzagate, obviously Watergate, and then obviously RHI gate. <laughs> obviously. This next one I think is my favorite. Um, it's really recent. It happened in October 2020, and um, it has to do with, or sorry, Hacktoberfest, which is a month-long celebration held in, you guessed it, October, to promote contributions to free and open-source software communities. Um, So I guess it's like a hackathon, but people get together and just, like, try to, like, you know make good code i got a b plus in a python in my python class so i'm not like super well versed with the the lingo so the hacktober should i say they made a mistake because they offered a free hacktober 2020 shirt to the first 75,000 participants who submitted four or more pull requests i believe a pull request is just like making an edit to the code People were extremely hyped to get the shirts, which is a little confusing because there's 75,000 t-shirts available. And also, like, I've never seen, like, free t-shirts incentivize people that much. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like to, to the, like, really to the point of, like, vandalism. Yeah, I looked it up. It's, it's really not anything special. Like, I don't know. Like, the only time I'm excited about, like, a free t-shirt is if it's like being launched out of like a t-shirt gun and like at that point i'm like frothing at the mouth but like it's kind of like once it leaves this shirt cannon it kind of loses its charm do you know what i mean it's it's like when a car leaves the dealership and like immediately loses its value like (laughs) i just feel like t-shirts are just t-shirts and t-shirt guns are like that i wonder if it's an age thing too because at this point in my life, I just truly could not care less about, like, an irrelevant t-shirt. Like, that means nothing to me. Like, I don't want it. But when I was younger, I think that there's just this, like, free stuff, like, mindset you have in, like, middle high school. Right, because you don't have, like, a disposable income. Right. So it's just like, oh, my gosh, I'm getting a thing. This is so exciting. It's rare that I just get this random stuff. <laughs> but... um. <laughs> I remember, like, pretending to be interested in colleges all the time because then they would send me T-shirts. Oh, my gosh. I remember you doing that. You would email schools and get their shirts. You know, obviously, like, if I could go back in time, I would not do that again because I just had drawerfuls (laughs) of, like, Northern Alaska State College of biomedical farming and whatever. Like, the most obscure places. Also, just, like, very wasteful. Like, I don't need all that. But oh my god! I don't know. I feel like it just goes to show how like all of us are subject to going to great lengths to get free t-shirts. I mean, we are not immune to the power of free t-shirts. Like, I mean, I know I say like I'm not that interested in free t-shirts, but if if there's a free t-shirt and the obstacle is like not that hard, like I have to like spin a wheel or something, like I'll do it. Even if, even if I'm like I don't, I know I'm never gonna wear the shirt. 
it's like it's just if if it's free then i think i should get it (laughs) yeah it definitely depends like me when i was 15 would probably literally do almost anything for a free t-shirt i'm a i'll i will say that i'm very proud to report that i'm a little bit harder to win over now like it has to be like a good free t-shirt yeah 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 it it can't just be like just text maybe like a fun graphic and you know nice color scheme i don't know maybe adulthood maybe like a rite of passage into adulthood is just like being a bit more responsible about where you're getting your free t-shirts yeah the first time you refuse a free t-shirt you become a you know like a fully actualized woman i feel like (laughs) (laughs) i remember refusing my first free t-shirt it was at a wells fargo anyways (laughs) that was such a crazy long segue i did not know i had i didn't know we had such strong feelings about free t-shirts anyways I don't know how old these 75,000, well, 75,000 plus people were, but they were, like, not going to risk not getting these shirts. So what ended up happening was that this whole Hacktober event is to promote good code and, like, you know, get a lot of progress. Um, But people would just make really unnecessary edits to already like good code like for example like they would change like a bullet point to a dash or they would change my project to my awesome project (laughs) well like you know that's maybe that's warranted um and in some cases they would even like break working code so once again they shot themselves in the foot nice yeah let's add that sound effect from now on. <laughs> but Seth wouldn't use that sound effect because Annie and Hajin wouldn't use the term shooting oneself in the foot again for the rest of the episode. <laughs> that really sounds like a uh, dumpster fire. Speaking of fires... Um, Whoa, segue. <laughs> so smooth. I didn't even notice where we're going. Firefighter arson is one of my favorite topics because I just feel like it illustrates this crazy paradox of people both wanting to be seen as heroes and also just wanting to like seek thrills at all costs. Um, but yeah, believe it or not, over 100 firefighters per year are caught doing arson. And who knows how many are getting away with it? Because obviously, if you're a firefighter, That's you know a crazy. thing or two about how to start fires Make it look like an accident. in a subtle way. Yeah. Right. So right. <laughs> starting fires in a subtle way that seems like an oxymoron anyway. like mrs o'leary kicking over the uh the lantern child's play i you i don't even know what who's mrs o'leary she's the woman who was rumored to start the chicago fire of 1812 but later <laughs> amy you can't just name drop people like that later a newspaper <laughs> person confessed to making up the story but no one really knows but I feel like in the Midwest, like, she's pretty well known. She's a figure. Anyway. Yeah, maybe. Hmm. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, funding. Let us know. Funding fire departments by the number of fire calls that are made uh, is intended to reward fire departments that do the most work, but... 
But as you might uh, now realize, it also may discourage them from fire prevention activities, leading to an increase in actual fires. Also, um, there aren't like that many like <laughs> specific like articles about this, but I feel like, think about it, like you are a firefighter, you get rewarded when you respond really quickly to fires and mm -hmm. you're getting more money if you respond to more fires. So like, you know, why oh. wouldn't you start a fire and then immediately respond to it? Perhaps like ethics, <laughs> ethics and stuff. Yeah, but maybe like a moral compass <laughs> might stop you. <laughs> maybe a moral compass might stop you, but like, <laughs> but still something to think about. Um, <laughs> so, um, the, an excitement based motive would suggest that the firefighter wants to be viewed as a hero. Um, and so these fires can be anything from nuisance fires, like a trash container or a fully occupied apartment fire, which starts to enter the realm of being not really funny and actually really sad. Um, some traits that correlate with fire arson might be worth mentioning in case you know people in your life who are at risk of starting fires just to put them out. Um, so, <clears throat> honestly, like, let's hear it. I feel like I feel like these demographics are probably like what you might expect, but I'll say them anyway. White males that are age 17 oh. to 26, so mm -hmm. not a fully formed prefrontal lobe. Um, right, right. Unstable childhood environments, poor relationship mm. with their father, and potentially an over-controlling mother. Lacking in social skills. Obsessed with fire <laughs> service. <laughs> What would that look like? <laughs> I don't know. It's like, mm -hmm. <laughs> look at those firefighters. Really makes you wish you were part of that. I don't know. <laughs> Facing unusual stress. And then one study says that while they may be um, quite intelligent, they have poor performance in school. So please be on the lookout for your local firefighters who may have ulterior motives. Um because it is that something that does happen. I really wonder how many fires are a result of someone just wanting to be a hero. I know. Smokey the Bear is literally like quaking in his boots right now. <laughs> his little, his little um, mountain boots. <laughs> um, that was really harrowing and really makes you think. Um, my last perverse incentive is a little bit more wholesome, you could say. Um, I'm going to take you back to the east this time in Thailand. Um, the Bangkok police had this program where they would punish police officers who get an infraction. They would be given this tartan armband. Tartan <laughs> is pretty much plaid in like Scottish. Um, yeah, <laughs> I know my fabrics. Um, I watched Project Runway every time I was sick in elementary school. Um, so yeah, they would give them these tartan armbands as like a punishment. Um, and it was supposed to be like this big shameful thing. And actually, in a society that glorifies like a war 
awards and like badges and like I don't know I feel like any sort of like giving of something might actually like create like a sense of like honor and like (laughs) I don't know achievement so these badges of shame actually became badges of cool and um it was like a flex and you know it it, like did not do much to deter offending officers from committing offenses and perhaps even incentivize them to purposely misbehave to get the cool armband Mm -hmm. so as a solution in 2007 the police department was like all right we got to do something different and they're like what's the opposite of a cool tartan armband Annie? Um, the opposite of cool? Maybe like LuLaRoe Prince or Vera Bradley armbands? <laughs> Just like something chuggy. So, Maybe like so gray, yellow, and teal chevron. Chevron. Oh my gosh. With live, laugh, love. And like ugh, lo- ugh slippers. Are those chuggy? Am I crazy? I would wear them. Like, in, in the house, though. The New York Times ran an article in the style section, like, in late 2020 that said <laughs> Uggs were coming yeah. back. But I feel like they might have not been correct. But, like, we will see. As the weather cools down, we will see. <laughs> anyway. We will see. Keep your eyes peeled on the streets. <laughs> um, so, you were actually really close, like um not quite vera bradley but they used hello kitty armbands as punishment bands um so it's like super like hot hot pink there's a little heart on it with the eponymous kitten on there um and yeah i actually remember seeing a picture of a police officer getting one affixed to his arm like on those like twitter fun fact pages back in like 2014 but i thought it was fake for some reason um because like all of those facts were always fake but this one was real i guess and um i think it was actually one of the few um i guess solutions they had to the problem that was supposed to be a solution yeah wow it's like kind of funny in a punk way but at the same time i feel like with like you know, in, increased scrutiny of the police and culture. It's like, it makes you like think about what types of infractions they were doing. Mm-hmm. Like what abuses of power. I have a few more good ones that I'll just briefly mention. They're both like current issues in society to look out for. Under the American Medicare program, doctors are reimbursed at a higher rate if they administer more expensive medications to treat a condition. This creates an incentive for the physician to prescribe a really expensive drug when a less expensive one might do. Also, uh, when they order like a ton of tests because they know they're going to get a kickback. I feel like I read about this all the time. And it's one of the many reasons why American healthcare is so exorbitantly expensive compared to the rest of the world. Uh, so that's one. Amen, sister. <laughs> Another one <laughs> is the U.S.'s Endangered Species Act of 1973. Uh, one One aspect of the law is that Uh, It imposes development restrictions on landowners who find endangered species on their property. You find, uh, this is the only example I can think of, a panda bear. Um, 
and you have to report that and then the government may tell you okay whoa if this is a habitat for this endangered species you should not you know bulldoze it um however if you you know own this like really great land and you have dreams of building your like massive homestead on it and you happen to find an endangered species you might actually want to be kind of hush hush about it because the policy has some positive effects for wildlife but but you might selfishly just not want to have to deal with that and so it actually at certain situations will encourage preemptive habitat destruction. People will like drain swamps or cut down trees that might host valuable species because they don't even want to know. They just fear losing the use of their land because of the presence of endangered species. Other times people will find the species and then deliberately kill them to avoid. That's so sad. I know. I think maybe like the lesson of this entire episode is that like Everyone's out there for themselves. Like every everyone is acting very <laughs> selfishly. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, also while I was like researching for this episode, I feel like another lesson is just like be careful with incentives and competitions and it's just like you can have this intention, but once it's out there, like you have no idea how it's going to be interpreted and perhaps even twisted. Like I'm reminded of this um, competition that Taylor Swift hosted where, like, you could vote for your school and the school with the most votes, like, Taylor Swift would come and perform at that school. And um, 4chan, resident trolls of the internet, they hijacked the poll and they sent Taylor Swift. Oh, so a key component of this is that Taylor Swift was going to come to your school and perform her songs. And then 4chan sent um, Taylor Swift to, well, they made sure that this deaf school won. Oh, that's, I shouldn't <laughs> laugh. Like, that's really, no, um, I know. Like, it's that's so bad. Yeah, it's really bad. But like, that's just like what I mean. Like, it, it just kind of reminds me of like how they can, how, you know, companies and governments and and so forth can create programs with some sort of intention and a lot of the times that's just like not what the outcome is and i feel like in like this like individualist culture like there's some pride in winning fair and square but there is like a different type of pride in gaming the system to get what you want and people just i feel like some people will just not hold back so, wow, I'm, I'm feeling kind of discouraged. So stay with us after the break, and we're going to do a segment about the Streisand effect. Woo-hoo. Whoa. Ooh. Barbara Streisand. <laughs> do you know that song? <laughs> Seth, play that sound bite. Barbara Streisand. Wikipedia. Hey, thanks for listening to the Depths of Wikipedia podcast with your hosts Annie Rowerda and Hajin Yu. The main and accompanying theme was composed by Kyle Imperator. For more Depths of Wikipedia content, be sure to follow at Depths of Wikipedia on Instagram and TikTok. And remember, chances are you can get this week's wiki article on a mug at depthsofwikipedia.com. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe and give us a positive review wherever you heard it. And now, your weekly segment. 
Welcome back. Okay, the Streisand effect. I feel like a lot of people have heard of this, and it's the idea that when people are trying to hide or remove or censor information, specifically on the internet, a lot of times you have like very unintended consequences, which is that you increase awareness. Um, it's named after American entertainer Barbara Streisand, whose attempts to suppress the California Coastal Records project inadvertently drew great attention to it in 2003. They took a photo of her residence in Malibu, California, and it was supposed to document California coastal erosion. She was presumably scared that she was going to be caught, like, you know, causing or let e letting erosion happen so she made a big deal about getting the photos taken down and then everyone started talking about it this has happened time and time again uh, a few months ago i remember this happening when i think it was chloe kardashian had an unedited photo posted on like her great grandma's snapchat story or instagram story <laughs> what um, I don't remember okay. the details, but that's a crazy sentence, <laughs> but yeah, it was unedited and she like made a big deal about taking it down. Um, so here are some, here are three instances of the Streisand effect and they're all like in the form of trivia questions. First one, which California representative filed a defamation lawsuit against Twitter and three users for US 250 million in damages. One user named in the lawsuit was the parody account Devin Cow, which had 1,200 followers before the lawsuit and then had 600,000 followers after the lawsuit. What California representative do you think inspired Devin Cow? This is basically a question of <laughs> do you know any California okay, representatives named Devin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I literally can't even name a single representative from California. Devin Nunes, former dairy farmer. Did you know who this was? I did, yeah. Dang. I need to brush up. Former dairy farmer and California Republican representative. Okay, next one. In October of 2020, the New York Post published emails that may have been from a laptop owned by presidential candidate Joe Biden's son, Hunter who was in the news quite a bit. Uh, the emails detailed an alleged corruption scheme. In response, this social media platform blocked the story and locked the accounts of those who shared a link to the article, including the New York Post itself and White House Press Secretary Kaylee McEnany, um, who I have a weird fascination with. Um, that's completely beside the point though. Um, Anyway, researchers from MIT cited the increase of 5.5 thousand shares every 15 minutes to about 10,000 shares shortly after Twitter censored the story. Shoo, I gave it away. What? Yeah, I was going to say. What social media platform? <laughs> oh, was it Instagram? <laughs> Close. Guess <laughs> again. Uh, I'm shot in the dark. Um, Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next one. 
In 2019, <laughs> author Andrew Seidel sent a copy of his book, The Founding Myth, Why Christian Nationalism is Un-American, to a conservative evangelical pastor named Greg Locke. The author hopes to start a conversation about the issues discussed in the book. However, the pastor said he had no intention of reading the book and did this to it. He posted a video on his social media accounts, and the response to the video, including many replies, exp expressing the intention to purchase and read the book. He did something to the book, and it made people want to read it. Yeah. Um, burn it? <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yeah, that's correct. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what else you could do in the book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much Yay. for joining us today. Two out of three. Um, One of them, I kind of... I kind of gamed that one, but wasn't that the theme of today's episode? <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, and please stick around because we have a fun show next week as well. Bye!